Welcome to this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxton, and we're here talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetnam. James, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford. I most certainly am, Rob. It's been an incredibly interesting week in the week of sport, and I can't wait to break it all down with you over the next hour. Yeah, so we'll start with the football, James, and Manchester United, a 1-1 draw with Leicester City at the weekend. Disappointment for Ralph Men. Obviously, the race for the top four is on, and dropping points against Leicester won't help. Yeah, it most certainly won't. I thought it was a pretty pitiful performance, if I'm going to be honest with you, Rob. I felt we were very lucky to come out of the game with a draw. Obviously, Madison had a disallowed goal late into the game due to a foul on Varane. But all in all, very disappointing. De Gea again, forced to be the hero like he has been throughout the bulk of Ralph Rangnick's tenure at Manchester United. Yes, we conceded Barry and Acho and then Fred got us back into the game. But all in all, pretty pathetic. I felt like Leicester bossed bulks of the game. McTominay put in a pretty horrible tackle early that, that Jamie Redknapp called disgusting. Rashford, after the incident the other week at Atletico Madrid, he didn't play. And even Darren Fletcher found himself going at a fan in the stands. I don't know if you see, saw that, Rob, but uh, after Iheanacho's goal, it kicked off. And uh, Darren Fletcher well and truly set ablaze at this fan. But all in all, Poor game, very disappointing. Yeah, Leicester had a goal disallowed. Uh, VAR disallowed it after a foul on Varane. Uh, what did you make of that? Do you think it was the correct decision? I think there's an obvious foul on Varane, so you have to say so, don't you? Mm. All in all, Leicester, for me, the better team today. They didn't get the win. And for me, that was purely down to the heroics of David Dea, who's received so much criticism in recent years. But since Ralph Rangnick has taken over the reins at Manchester United. He's received a lot of criticism for his results. Those results would be a hell of a lot worse if he wasn't in between the stakes. That's indeed true, that, James. You do worry uh, the fact that Manchester United are starting to rely a lot on David uh, De Gea. It's, it is a problem, obviously. Manchester United shouldn't be uh, a team that relies on him to keep dragging us out of trouble. We are we are Manchester United. We shouldn't have to be hanging on for results, and it is frustrating because obviously, you know, we're, we're looking for we're looking to develop. Um, but there is moments when you think, you know, we've got to be better than this. Yeah, the thing is, Rob, with this group of players, is any manager capable of bringing them on? It, did it? Does it? We we were looking at all these options before Ralph Rangnick came, and all the possible people who could step up, take over the ship. Is anybody capable of getting us out of this fearsome tide, or are the waves going to overwhelm us no matter what? Because with this group of players, it's just not clicking. Is is it history, James? Is the fact that we are Manchester United weighing heavy? on these players' shoulders. Obviously, the likes of Beckham and Scholes and Giggs and Keane, you know, people look back at that at that fantastic generation. Uh, Van Nistelrooy, Van Persie, Andy Cole, Dwight York, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the, the good times. And and obviously, we all want them back. Um, do these players who are, you know, well-paid at Manchester United, are they able to deal with the pressure of playing for Manchester United. The fact that football has changed as well won't help the situation because obviously it's more technical now and it's it's more tactical. And, and I, I sometimes think the players of yesteryear may have, may get found out if they played now. 
but they don't. They play then. So these players who play now are obviously in a different situation, aren't they? And football's different, and they might not be able to turn them on the magic which you know we demand as fans. I don't think it's necessarily a pressure issue. Is it is as much a passion issue? Because those players you listed off then, your Scholes, your Beckhams, your Nicky Butts, your Gary Nevilles, Phil Nevilles, etc., were so young when they were achieving major things at Manchester United, but they were still capable. They weren't thrown by that pressure. And if anything, they would have been. Can you imagine being 18 years old and having to go out in front of those lights like all those players did? It's now like Paul Pogba. I don't think he's necessarily struggling from the pressure, is he? He's yeah. from the fact that he doesn't have the passion to perform for that football club. Maybe the, maybe it's the fact that the players today are, are more celebrity and they're not driven to be the best player they can be for Manchester United. They're, they're driven to be the best player for themselves and for their image in the world of sport and the world of football. And I suppose playing for Manchester United is a different kettle of fish. You have to be on your game every week because obviously every game against Manchester United, in my opinion, is a cup final. Teams raise their game and if you're not ready to, to run that extra mile or stick your head in when it hurts, you will get found out as a Manchester United player. And perhaps that's what's happening here. Yeah, I think most players are getting found out, aren't they? And Manchester United is a very special club. You can't beat an elite player and then expect to translate your skills over to the future of dreams and it all to work out, as Angle Di Maria found out, yeah. as Radamel Falcao found out, as Alexis Sanchez found out. There's something extra that's required to play for Manchester United because they are such a special team. Yeah, they are, James. And it's, it is a sort of a difficult situation that, you know... Teams raise the game, and like I said before, it is a difficult situation. We're joined by Paul Whiteside from the Devil in a Detail, and obviously we're talking about Man United, Paul, and the way you know teams raise the game, and and you can see that on the field. Obviously, it's all about getting the one up on Manchester United because of the history and the and the, and the and the fame. Yeah, well, I think you've you've always got that when you when you're part of a big club, aren't you? Sports like Liverpool, Manchester City. In football, and then you know, sort of Wigan, say Ireland, and teams like that, rugby league, and I'm not so sure of rugby union. I don't know who their top dogs are. It used to be Leicester, and teams like that. Mm. And that's how sport always will be. Um, you're always going to want to knock the top, top dogs off. But just like you were saying there about about Manchester United and the players, I think the players are a lot of the problem sometimes in, in Manchester United, especially now in the culture of now. Um, players, it's, it's hard. Some of them perhaps a bit too big for the boots, doesn't it? It doesn't seem to be where they'll run through the brick wall like they are, like to Roy Keane would do, because I don't think you've got that sort of mentality in people anymore, and I don't know how you get that that back. It just seems, I don't know. It, times have changed, haven't they? Because of social media and, and things. About 20 years, the difference to what it was then, and I, I don't come back, but it does seem a shame. I mean, playing for Manchester United should be the pinnacle of any. Really not going to should be should be put there. I, I don't think I, I agree with that, Paul. It's it's a difficult situation to be. Um, James United are away on Saturday um, to Everton. That'll be a tough game. Yeah, it will be because Everton are desperately trying to hang on to glimmers of staying in the Premier League, aren't they? A side that has beaten us a few times over the last sort of decade, but 
the way they're playing at the moment, they're crumbling apart. You'd favour Manchester United, but after that pitiful performance against Leicester, you are worried for how they're going to perform because it's still not clicking. And we've got players like Rashford who aren't quite performing. And we've got players like Pogba who aren't doing what they can do. And, and Paul obviously spoke about it there, how much the world has changed over the last 20 years with the introduction of social media. Everybody wanting to post pictures of the flashcards on Instagram. Can we reverse this process now and bring back the Roy Keynes and the Yapstams and the Emanuvidiches of yesteryear when they're not being brought up in a similar society anymore? It's true, James, because obviously times have moved on, aren't they? Players have moved on, people have moved on. And it is that Instagram generation now, and it? Players aren't, people talk about the players aren't sort of mentally sort of tough enough. They've not gone through that process of reserve team, lower division playing football and, and mixing it and with sort of uh, cloggers we'll call it and, and they're not they're just going through this system of academy juniors um, and just kind of like on an escalator straight to the first team and then lacking that grit and, and, and determination and maybe that might be it James that might be the, the reason we are where we are um, at the moment but obviously let's talk about Man City now obviously they won 2-0 against uh, Burnley um, you know great result for the Blues obviously in a title uh, race with Liverpool uh, the Blues just got to win him yeah they are I suspected Manchester City always do a job on Burnley I mean over the past couple of years, they've had like 5-0 wins, 6-0 wins, and they've really, really terrorised, uh, haven't they? So a 2-0 win is actually a bit of a bit of a mercy, merciful performance, to be quite honest with you. But going into next week, massive game against Atletico Madrid. I think that's one they can win. When Man United played the Spanish side, I felt if they'd have had those extra last bit of minerals, they probably, I feel, I feel like that's a game they can win. And then they've got Liverpool... And the title well and truly rides on that game. Three points, 72 points. A win would put Liverpool in front. A win for City would put them well ahead. This is an important game. It's a really important week for Man City. Like you said, Atletico Madrid in the Champions League, the one that Pep and the owners of Man City want. Obviously, with uh, them facing Man United in the last round, we all know what their situation is. They're a tough, uh, niggly kind of side. And if Man City do get sort of dragged into that dogfight, it's going to be a very interesting contest. Obviously, Man City have some fantastic players in that team. And, you know, if they can play and are allowed to play by uh, Atletico, then it'll be a, a good night for Man City. But obviously Pep Guardiola's the one, the Champions League's the one that he really wants with Man City to cement his greatness. So he will be looking to, to get past uh, Atletico Madrid. And like you said, James, Liverpool uh, in the league, the Premier League, you know, all comes down to, to big moments, uh, done it in, in big games. And that Liverpool sort of contest might be the moment that, that kind of, you know, changes the outlook on the on the Premier League, uh, Paul. And, and I'm thinking, obviously, you know, being our resident blue, um, are you nervous about that contest? I'm more nervous about Salford at Warrington than Easter <laughs> Thursday, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you, know, do you know what? I've got a lot of friends who are Manchester City supporters and um, I've got a lot of United supporting friends as well, but, but I'd say more City. Hmm. The, the lads I speak to, some of the lads I speak to quite a lot, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine recently. We were saying, um, what would you prefer to win? And he made a really good statement. That, like, yeah, I know the owners want us to win the Champions League. But he said the average Man City supporter wants to win the Premier League first because it's bragging rights. It's local bragging rights over United and Liverpool. I said, well, you've never won the Champions League. They're happy that Liverpool and Manchester United have won it. But it's a funny mentality to have that. So 
I think there's a bit of truth in that, whereas the owners want that Champions League, don't they? And perhaps the average Johnny on the street does want the Premiership. But I think when when you've you've perhaps won that champion, you know, you, you've ticked that at the moment because they've not won that. I still think it's a big thing for them and they want to do it this season. But they played so well in the Premiership this season, you don't want to let that up now, do you? And let Liverpool back in. So it's a difficult one, this. Um, I think Atletico Madrid's going to be a, a test for them. But the way City are playing at the moment, I think defence is good, defence is solid. And, you know, the Burnley game at the weekend, it didn't really get out of second gear for me. It was pretty comfortable in the game. And you get the feeling that City have still got a gear that they can go up or maybe even two. So I think they've still got a lot a lot to play for this season. I think they can get better this season, which is, is frightening really for some of the other clubs. Yeah. Obviously, with uh, with City, James, it's a pressure, like Paul said. The fans want the Premier League, the owners want the European Cup and Pep stuck in the middle. Um, what do you reckon? I think you've hit the nail on the head, Rob, to be quite frank with you. I think the most important one, slice it, dice it, whatever way you want, is still that Champions League title. As Paul mm. says, the every man probably does want that Premier League win. The one they can brag against Manchester United fans. They can say they're the best team in the country. They've beat Liverpool to it. And over the past few years, they've had that rivalry with the Reds, haven't they? Because they have been so close in that Premier League uh, table. Liverpool actually won it when City completely capitulated. And had they been at their best, you'd imagine the Blues probably would have picked them to the post. So for that reason, I think they'd like to cement this. Because this is almost like the trilogy of the last three seasons. This is the big one. Uh, Liverpool win, City win, and now... It's well, it's either team's chance to really, really boost their bragging rights. But you've got this Liverpool side who've won so little in the last 30 years or so. They've won the they've only won the Premier League once since its inception. So who's got more pressure to win this Premier League title right now? Is it Manchester City who have are spinning so many different plates? Or is it Liverpool who need that additional win? Because the Champions League doesn't really matter to them. For me, it's probably City. Because City are going for, you know, uh, to make history, aren't they? Well, Liverpool already have history with European Cups and title leagues. You know, Premier League, well, League, uh, Barclays League uh, championship wins through the career. And Man City are kind of building that now, aren't they? Uh, through these recent years. And I suppose to be really considered to be ah, uh, great, you've got to win the European Cup. That's what they say. Um, so Pep's got that uh, in his sights. Um, but it is important. Obviously, they've got to keep winning. Obviously, Liverpool are, you know, in great form. They've got, you know, a great team. Pep, um, Pep going to be looking at Klopp and, and he's, you know, wants to be the best manager in the Premier League. So there's competition all over and, and different um you know, categories, Paul, and it, you know, it really is a, uh, you know, a, a time we'll look back at this in 10 years' time and you'll be thinking Klopp v Guardiola, the same as you thought Ferguson against uh, Wenger. Yeah, yeah, possibly. It's been a, a good battle between the, the two of them, hasn't it, over the last few years? Um, you know, uh, Pep's done done well, done a, done a good job at City. And I think, 
you know, Klopp has took a job on at Liverpool and, you know, they've come close, haven't they, a few times before, before Klopp went there and, and couldn't quite get over the line in the Premiership. And he's actually done the business there, hasn't he? So uh, I think you've got to give me a lot of credit for that. But yeah, there's a, there's a lot on this season between the two of them. And, and that match when they, they both face each other, it promises to be a, probably be a boring nil-nil draw, won't it? But <laughs> it promises to be a cracky match, doesn't it? That? And, that may, and maybe possibly the, the title decided the way the two sides are going at the moment. But yeah... I think both sides this season have still got a big chance in the in the Premiership. I think same in the in the Champions League as well. That could could go either way. An awful lot of football to be played still still this season. So uh, I wouldn't like to. I'm glad you didn't ask me the previous question. What you asked James anyway, because uh, I I don't really know how it's going to go. Uh, I'm not too sure. To be, I think there's a lot to to be played and could go. It's a fifty fifty split. I think between the two of them really. I think it'll boil down to that match when they play each other. What do you think is the greatest rivalry of all time? Ferguson v Wenger or Pep v Klopp, James? Ferguson Wenger. I, I don't think there's the history right now to say that Klopp versus Guardiola is the best rivalry of all time. I mean, yes, the last three years have been exciting. But the first one, you've got to remember, Liverpool won it so conclusively because City completely pulled off and did their own thing. That second year, closer. This year, one for me where we really separate the men from the boys, where these two managers have to look at each other and think, how do we, one, win all these other games? And secondly, how do we beat each other going into this weekend? But Wenger and Ferguson, arguably the two best managers of the time, they had such a historic rivalry that went on for years. You had Arsene Wenger with the Invincibles. You had United winning title after title after title. So I think as of right now, for legacy, you go with that one. But who knows? Perhaps Guardiola and Klopp will, will develop that down the line. But what they would need as well is that little added bit. Because you know for a fact that Sir Alex Ferguson and Wenger had a lot of needle. Those two did each other, but detested each other at times as well. And talking about detesting people, Rob, on, the old firm derby always provides an exciting game. We were talking about this before we started uh, recording. Celtic v Rangers, guaranteed to go down a storm. Two fearsome Scottish sides that love to claim bragging rights over each other. And the game couldn't have started any better. Seven fantastic opening minutes, a goal apiece. Celtic ultimately securing the winner on the cusp of half-time. But the second segment of the game was postponed due to the fact that some idiotic Rangers fans were throwing glass bottles onto the pitch. There was groundsmen who were having to take glass shards out of the pitch so the game could restart. And sadly, a bottle hit a member of the Celtic team, uh, um, the Celtic uh, backroom staff on the back of the head. He needed stitches. And it's pretty reckless behaviour, not something you want associated with a game that so many supporters to watch, enjoy, and then a few spoil it. Yeah, it's, it is kind of terrible. The old firm, uh, contest is is renowned r- around the world. It people tune in to watch the the passion and and the commitment of both sides. The you know the support from from both sets of fans. It lights up the whole event. And unfortunately, sometimes it does overspill uh, into you know into you know bad things that happen. And you're kind of hoping that the you know the authorities and and the police in Glasgow can can organise. Uh, you know, uh, to find out what happened, who who you know made it happen, and they can be sort of punished because it kind of spoils it as as an occasion, uh, Paul. And and we, you know we want you know football to be a, a you know a great sport full of passion both on and off the field. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, moments like this leaves a, a sour taste in the mouth. 
Well, it certainly does, Rob. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of history in football, but if you're just taking Scottish football um, and the Celtic and Rangers, I mean, the, the both clubs and the Scottish FA and everybody else have worked so hard, I think, over the, the years to try and get rid of the violence and especially the sectarianism that's involved with the religions and things like that with, with the two sport, with the two teams, sorry. And it, they seem to be making great progress with it, and I think they have done, but you're always going to get the odd individual. But I go back to the 90s when I used to watch a lot of football and the Celtic and Rangers game, then it used to be... Uh, you should be a lethal, like, you know, some of the stuff that went on, some of the violence. And I think if you ask people from, like, the 70s and the sword fights and some of the other stuff, you shouldn't laugh. It's it's awful, some of the violence that went on at those, those two clubs. And it, it it does it, you know, without being controversial, it, it, it gets involved with religion and all sorts, doesn't it, that rivalry. It's much more than a football rivalry. It's You could... You could do a whole show on it, couldn't you, and write a book about it. It's, it's, it, it can be bad blood that, and I wouldn't want to really go go too much into to detail over. But what he's mentioning there, it's it's not good, but it's how he stamp it out. It's very very difficult. It's like uh, I think it was has been slagged off on Twitter, and you know saying they didn't deserve to live and things like that, and players have got involved. And it's I've heard people say how do you you know it needs to stop, but how do you stop it? How do you stop people? Doing things like this, how do you stop people throwing stuff at a football match? You can't police every single person, can you? Twenty-four hours a day, it's up to people to be responsible. You know, have a bit of responsibility and a bit of respect. And I don't know how you change that. Really, don't. Yeah, let's talk about Salford City now, James. Two wins from them this week. They beat Crawley two-one at home. Then they beat Hartlepool Hartlepool two-nil away. Gary Bowyer's men uh, on the march for a playoff spot. Yeah, they are. I mean, last week we talked about how integral these two games were, with Salford only being a place above Craw, a place above Hartlepool, and a place above Craw, uh, two places above Crawley. And they exceeded all expectations and they continued this winning run they're on at the moment. A 2-1 win against Crawley, a 2-0 win against Salford. And this thing that we spoke about a, a few weeks ago has been a bit of a pipe dream of could they make the playoffs? Could they? It's unlikely, but they might. The form they're on now, it looks like they could. And they're only four points away with six games to go. This is a genuine possibility in our Rob. We're not talking fairy tale stuff anymore. This could happen. It could, James. And, you know, the people of Salford getting excited about this, Paul. You know, the football team is on the march to a playoff spot. They've got, they've had success, they've had promotions in the past. But if they could jump up another division to the sort of the championship, it makes a massive difference to the city. Are you there, Paul? Oh, sorry, sorry, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Salford have been, been good this season, haven't they? They, they really haven't. Mick bag for them to see them up on the trail now and in towards the, the playoffs and let's hope they can get in it. Yeah, it's going to be a really, really exciting uh, charge for that playoff spot, James. They've got Port Vale at home and then they've got Harrogate at home. One on Tuesday, one on Saturday. Gary Bowyer's men, two from two there and the, the fight is really on. Yeah, Harrogate, a very winnable game. Port Vale, their third at the moment. That's going to be much tougher, but we're hoping they can get through it. And talking about getting through it, England are almost guaranteed to do that in their World Cup group because mm. they've drawn Iran, the States, and either Wales, Ukraine, or Scotland, depending on who wins the qualifier there. A yeah. very, very well route for them, right? It is, James. And obviously, with the World Cup, you know, dramas all around with America 
in Iran. And then if Ukraine can't complete their fixtures because of what's going on um, in the war with Russia, um, England will either face Wales or Scotland. So we've got battles with Britain. Um, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be amazing. Obviously, that's what the World Cup is. It's about rivalries. It's about great football, uh, James. And, and, you know, we're all super excited about it. It's going to be in is it November or December rather than at the end of the season? So that's a, that's a change as well. So it'll be fantastic to see uh, what happens at Christmas time. It will most certainly be rather than being out and about in a raucous beer garden. We'll be wrapped up warm drinking hot chocolate, enjoying <laughs> what we hope will be an early Christmas treat. But I've had a little look at the tournament map, Rob, and I oh, made well. a few predictions for you. Go on. So this is the route that I'm telling you England are going to take to World right. Cup glory. Okay. So we're, go- we're going to win this group. We're going to batter everybody in it. And yep. then we're going to the last 16. And we've got a match-up here against Senegal. Or the- okay. Then we're going to move on from there. We've got a much tougher game in the quarterfinal. We're going to be taking on France. Yep. Which is, of course, going to be difficult because after going out uh, on a penalty shootout against Switzerland in the European Championships, the French have a point to prove. And after winning the World Cup last time, going into this one as the Red they're going to want to make a statement and dispatch of a team like England. But with all the pressure on them, I think it's a good chance for England to get a big victory. And with the momentum in the side right now, us going to the semi-finals and then us going to the final and coming agonisingly close to winning it, there's a sense of belief, not just amongst the fans, but amongst the players, that I think will carry through that. The final becomes a bit more difficult now because there's so many teams that could be. It could be Spain, it could be Germany, it could be Belgium, it could be Croatia, it could be Portugal. They're the most likely ones. But we better than all of those the Euros, remember that. Especially Germany, who, of course, we beat in the last 16. And then in the final, we've got a match-up against South America's finest. We're taking on Brazil. OK. And that's a tough game, of course. Neymar up top, Philip Coutinho, the playmaker in the middle. Thiago Silva, a beast of a centre-back at the back. But Southgate's going to find a way, Rob, and that's my World Cup prediction now. That's uh, I hope you've been... Don't forget to bet responsibly. And Paul, have you marked that down? What's your, what do you think the odds on that is? Oh, we're betting, Rob. <laughs> I, a, a, a nice, I had a nice accumulator on that was offering me 600 quid from a pound. Hmm. I got the two... The uh, I got the OKR score, right, against Warrington. The Catalan and... Uh, Huddersfield score right I went into the Salford game today they were offering me about 20 quid to cash out I thought nah Salford a week Wakefield and Salford have gone ah. and got beat and <laughs> wrecked my accumulator so no I'm not betting for a few weeks now. I'm having a few weeks off but that sounds a good uh, a good bet that though I think you get a few uh, few quid on that well good odds on that I think I thought Paul was <laughs> tapping into the details as, as <laughs> no, James no, was, no. Was, was telling us don't forget bet responsibly uh, that's what Paul should have cashed out but didn't that's a lesson <laughs> you have to learn uh, in, in the yep. world of betting um, so that's all, all the football chat. And we're going to talk uh, ice hockey now, James. Yeah, we are, Rob. Talk us through the games that we've had this week. Yeah, Manchester Storm, two games this week. Uh, they were at home to Sheffield midweek and lost 3-0. The big derby contest, the Storm shelter was buzzing. Unfortunately, Manchester Storm went down to defeat. But they played Sheffield on Sunday at home and won 4-3. Goal, uh, goals from Tyson Fawcett. Cam Critchlow and Adam Brady tied it up at three all, and then a penalty shootout came about. And Manchester Storm came up victorious with a one-goal uh, difference. And Ryan Finney, his men, buzzing after that result. It's a it's a crucial win for Manchester Storm because obviously the the run for a playoff spot is on, and they've got to keep winning to get there. Yeah, most certainly. About the momentum growing. 
with Ryan Finnerty's men last week, and it skyrocketed. It did, it did, James. And and you know we're we're super excited about it. Manchester Storm fans are starting to believe that this team has enough in its tank to reach a playoff spot. They're gonna, they've left it late. Let's not, let's not boot about the bush. There's two home games left. They've only got a couple of away games to go. Can they bridge the gap and get into the playoff spot? That's the big question. I'm sure Ryan Finity will be talking to his players now, trying to G him up for the, the the last hurdle to get over the line and get to a playoff spot. We're going to be following it on the sports zone. It's going to be mad. Hopefully, Storm will get there. Yeah, we really hope they do. The way they're playing at the moment, all the right signs. We've got them all. We're hoping we can just bridge that gap, just about get into those player spaces. We didn't start the season brilliantly, but we've really hit form at the right time. We've got a couple of games coming up this week. Who have we got, Rob? Yeah, we've got Sheffield uh, away on Wednesday and then Glasgow away on Saturday and then Cardiff at home on Sunday. Six points from three games puts us bang in position for a playoff spot and we're hoping that Ryan Finney's men come this time next week are head of that pack. We'll have to wait and see. We've got faith in the, uh, the Storm boys and hopefully we'll be celebrating come next Tuesday. So if you want to put your life on this one, Rob, are they going to make the playoffs? That's a bit extreme, James. Putting my life on a on an. I don't want Ryan Finity to, to feel that much kind of pressure uh, with with my life in his hands. I'm just hoping that uh, he can coach his team to to a, a playoff spot. Um, they've got the players. They've got the confidence. Uh, he just needs that bit of magic and that bit of luck. And hopefully they'll be in the playoffs um, come three weeks time. So that's well, all the oh, ice hockey chat. I'm going to talk rugby league now, Paul. And so for the Devils, they travel to Wakefield and lost 30 points to 24. Talk us through it. Yeah. I'll be in this ball as a game or two. It really was. Uh, so four points to four. It was the Tom Johnson show in the first half. He's an absolute class act, is Tom Johnson. I wouldn't be surprised if he's in, in the reckoning for the World Cup. I don't think he's actually in the training squad or the one that Sean Wayne picked recently, but he's absolutely quality, that winger. He, he's got power, he's got pace, he's lethal. And um, he run that first half, scored two good tries for Wakefield, had a hand in all the others. We couldn't keep hold of him. Um, every time we seemed to kick to that left to try and tire him out for some reason, I think those were our tactics. Wakefield just, just, just blew us away. Uh, they, they built that lead up, and um, you know we, we got a, a decent try through Reese Williams, but 24-4 down at half time, 20 point deficit. We had to come out and do something different in the second half, and to, to give Salford credit, they did. They scored a couple of tries, uh, got back to within six points of, uh, of Wakefield at 24 points to 18. But Jay Pitts went over nine minutes from time, and uh, it just took the game away from us then. But you know five tries apiece in the end. Uh, Mark's need a day off with a boot. You know his three missed kicks. Have, um, have kept us behind the game. I'm not blaming Mark Sneedrum. I think it was a poor first half that, that led to it. But yeah, definitely a game of two halves. And if Salford could put a consistent performance of 80 minutes together, we'd be a dangerous team. But at the moment, that, that's that's lacking. We, we're not uh, we're not performing. We, we've, we're playing in fits and starts and it's not good enough. Why do you think that first half, they were so far off the pace? Um, I think you've got to give Wakefield some credit. You know, Wakefield are playing with a lot of confidence at the moment. That's four wins on the spin for them now. They beat Warrington away two weeks running, so I know Warrington is struggling, but that's a good performance to go there and win. Uh, they've got quality players. They've got two quality half-backs, good set of forwards, plenty of pace out wide, and they're, they're, they're a good side. They've had a tough start to the season, played a lot of difficult teams, and I think that's why they've not 
if you look at the record this season, all the games they've played in, they've run teams really close. I mean, they've run St. Helens really close away from home. So they've got some good players in that side. And, and yeah, I just think it was another poor start from Solver. We, we started on the, on the back foot, give a few penalties away. You can't afford to keep doing that. You know, conceding penalties in your own half, it just gets that other team on the front foot and gives them a piggyback down the field. And they took the chances. I thought our, our contact in defence again was poor. I mean, if you've not seen the game today and you watch it on the on the, the highlights on the Super League show or Sky or whatever, that try right on half-time that um, Johnston scores. I mean, he runs in a bit of broken play. They're about 30 yards out and he skittles about four Salford defenders and they were forwards. They're big men. They should be putting him down. That, that, that's poor soft contact in defence. Not enough, don't know, not enough steel in that defence for me. And that, that's costing us at the moment. You can't afford to. I mean, we scored 30 points, uh, 24 points away from home today. That should be enough to win you the game. But, you know, conceded 30. So, uh, you know, it's... It, I think the second half papered over the cracks a little bit for us. I, I don't think we were good enough today. I think Wakefield were the much better side. I think the second half, they perhaps went into the shell a little bit. They've got a massive cup quarterfinal next week. And I think 24-4, they just wanted to... Uh, they were like a boxer, really. It was winning on points dead easy and just didn't want to get injured. They just wanted to stay away from us and keep us at arm's length. So, yeah, I thought it was a disappointing display today. Yeah, what's frustrating uh, for Paul Rowley, uh, obviously that second half played well in the second half, scored some good tries, but like we've said before, it's exactly the same as the Hull Kingston Rovers game. Hull KR built a, built a lead, Salford fought back and unfortunately ran out of steam and... and like I've said before, if you're running uh, the, the throttle, you're going to run out of juice. And I think that's what's happened today. That's right. And if you're Paul Rowley or if you're the Salford supporters, you look at that and you think it's frustrating because we proved in round one when we went to Castleford in a real cauldron atmosphere in front of 10,000 people in Castleford's backyard. And we did the business on them. We played a, you know, a consistent 80 minutes and won the game. Since then, we've not really done that. We've, we've had a couple of good wins, but... We, we, like that whole KR game you mentioned there, that was another game where we was in and out and we didn't put 80 minutes together. The whole away game, we got blown away in that game in, in, in sections of it as well. Huddersfield, the way we were the same. So it's it'd be frustrating for Paul. I mean, we're going into Easter with, with, with six points, which is not a bad start, but I think it could have been better. I think we could have had more points than what we've had so far. And the worrying thing is, you know, Wakefield have, have, have gone level on points with us today. You've got Warrington and, and, and Leeds who were below us before kickoff. And I don't know, I think. You look at those sides and you think Leeds have got a lot of quality in there. I think they're on confidence at the moment. If they start winning, which you'd expect them to, same with Warrington, then you're going to be down there, aren't you, in that sort of bottom two or three. So it was disappointing today. I thought today was a game we could have won and um, it would have given us a lot of confidence going into the Easter programme. If you look at our next four games, it's a real challenge for us. We've got Warrington, Catalan, St. Helens away, Wigan away. Four really tough games coming up now. So, um, so yeah, you can only got to take one game at a time, though. You know, Warrington are not doing so well, so we could uh, we could get a result there. But I think we've just got to be better. We've got to be better. We've got to be more consistent. And the injury thing's a worrying, worrying thing for us. I mean, Shane Wright's out. James Greenwood's out for the season, I believe, now. I've just heard, uh, I think it was Gary Carter put on Twitter that, uh, Dan Sargent's out for the season so they're, they're two big misses for us you know we've got no back rowers I spoke to Paul Rowley after the game and you, you spoke to him in the press conference and it doesn't sound like we've got any money to bring anybody in on loan we've, we've loaned a load of players out so I, I just hope everything's okay behind the scenes because um, that, that's not a good sign that when you've not got any money to bring anybody in to, to help out mm, Crucial moments really for, for Paul Rowley um, 
with injuries and suspensions and it's going to be a tough few weeks. Obviously, we need to be in the hunt come playoff time. Uh, so really, it's a, a test for him and his players to, to be there uh, when it really matters. Well, yeah, before you start talking about players, we may, we've got to make sure we're not, you know, we're not near relegation. We need mm-hmm. to make sure we're away from that first. I mean, that's. I'm not being negative saying that. I'm, I'm just trying to be realistic. So, uh, yeah, of course, I'd love to see us in, in the top end of the table, but we've just got to string some wins together first. And, you know, the, the injury situation is a bit worrying for me. Um, and, the, and the squad size, you know, we've not massive squad there and to lose two players for the season is, is a big hole out of your team and two quality players as well two players that would be would be in the side so um, so yeah it's tough do you know what in a way nobody wants to go out of the Challenge Cup you know that that, that that was disappointing for us but in a way bit of a you know turn around as a positive now we've got a bit of time off before Warrington and Catalan those two Easter games come thick and fast we've got a bit of time to patch people up and get on that training pitch, give the players a bit of a rest as well and be, become rejuvenated for what's going to be a hectic sort of couple of weeks with those four ties that we just mentioned. Yeah, so it would be interesting to see what happens there. Um, like I say, Easter next week, games come thick and fast against the big teams. It's going to be a real test for Paul Rowley and his men. Let's talk Swinton Lions now, Paul. They were at Midland Hurricanes this week away and won 54 points to 16. Great result for Alan Collins, men. Yeah, good start to the season. You know, you can only beat the teams in front of you and people can say, oh, they've not played anybody yet. But you've got to play the sides in front of you and to go away from home and score 54 points. It's building confidence for them. So they've won two from two. And you can't argue with that at all. Alan Coleman's side will be full of confidence now, you know, going into uh, to next week's match and, uh, you know, a good result again. So, Swint, uh, you know, uh, making people sit up and take note, really. Good start to the season. That You know, some of the other sides who are fancy they've had you know, hit and miss that, but win two from two, that's all you can do. Yeah, great result for Twinton. Obviously, sharing the tries. Jay Hatton got two. Mike Buck got one. Jordan uh, Chase got one. Jack Spencer, Adam Abraham, Lewis Begum and Dean Meadows all on the score sheet for Swinton Lions. Um, it kind of shows they can score from anywhere, really. He does. Uh, I mean, Mike Butt is like uh, Swinton's Ken Seo, isn't he? He seems to score every week. For He's a real talisman. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned there, there's some talent in that Swinton squad. And um, you know, we were talking last week, weren't we, about the, the good start to the season. And, you know, some of the other sort of fancied teams, like Oldman, Rochdale, the local rivals, were beaten, weren't they? And I don't think they've sort of impressed this weekend either. So, uh, so Swindon have got to be the team to watch, really. And, you know, if they can start building down there at, uh, at their, their ground down there in Sale, you know, they could, the crowds are going to be building up and, and people are going to be enthusiastic about a return to that championship because I think they can really, really have a good season. And as I said before, to win the first two games is a real solid start for them. And, and scoring tries, well, when you're scoring tries, you're confident, aren't you? And confidence builds and, and you grow. You're playing with a smile on your face, scoring lots of tries every week. That's what the supporters want to see and the players are going to enjoy it as well. Yeah, Doncaster away uh, on Sunday for the Lions. Paul, you know, exciting first real test. Yeah, that's a tougher game. Doncaster have got some good players in their side. They were beaten at the weekend at Keithley. I mean, Keithley look pretty good as well, don't they? But, you know, Swinton played them in a friendly and beat them. But, you know, Doncaster have got some good players in their, their side. They've got some players with Super League experience in there. Some uh, wily old players. Talapapa plays for them. He played at Featherston. He's a talented player, so if we can get his name right. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they, you know, it's a... 
it's a it's a tough place to go at any any time, and they're always there or thereabouts in that league. One of the have been for the last few years as well. So that's a that's a test. It's a step up from the get two games they played. No disrespect to Coventry and in uh, West Wales, but it's a it's a big game for them. And um, you know, I'm sure Swinton can come come away from that with two more points. Yeah, so that's all the rugby league chat, and we're going to talk in boxing now with James. Yeah, we most certainly are, Rob, and it's been a very interesting week in the world of boxing. We're going to kick it off, as ever, with the heavyweights. Fury versus weight. And as the fight's getting closer, Paul, the speculation that this got this fight is that we've got absolutely no undercard. We've got Isaac Lowe versus TBA and nothing else. I don't think I've ever seen a stadium fight, no less, with so little promotion and so little card. Is anyone even on this? Well, it seems strange, doesn't it? I mean, you, you normally, um, your main event sort of comes on at 10, 10.30 at night, doesn't it, these big stadium events? There's normally a big build-up. You have a really good undercard, don't you? And, uh, you know, local talent sometimes, up at emerging talent and domestic dust-ups and things like that. So it'd be strange if there was no undercard. I mean, you'd expect people to get into the stadium at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. What are they going to do for two hours? They're just going to sit there listening to music. So it does seem a bit of a strange one, really. Like you said, the... At the moment, the, the, the silence is deafening from the Dylan White camp, isn't it? So I don't really know what's going on at all. It, it, it just seems a real strange situation. Yeah, it most certainly does. I mean, at this stage, Paul, and I know he's a Hall of Fame promoter, he's done it all, but is Frank Warren capable of promoting a stadium show of this magnitude? Well, the, the proof's going to be in the pudding, isn't it? I mean... I don't know. Has he got the fighters to, to, to build up an undercard? I'm not, I'm not too sure. It does seem really strange the way things are going with it. And the fight's not that long off now. And it just looks very, very, so, without being disrespectful, it just looks a bit disorganised to me, a bit disorientated. So I'm not too sure what's going to happen there. I think it'd be, it'd be a, a real shame if the fight didn't happen now. I mean, you, it, it takes a lot to, to put these shows on, doesn't it? You know, the likes of Tyson Fury, they don't often fight more than two or three times a year, if that, do they? So, um, you know, and especially with him saying he's coming towards the end of his career and things like that, this fight's in jeopardy. It'd be, it'd be a real shame. Yeah, I mean, in terms of that undercard, we had the likes of Jared Anderson, the big heavyweight who's looked impressive, who was meant to be on it. He's not going to be anymore because of an injury. Tommy Fury, it, it made sense with him missing out on the Jake Paul fight to get back in the ring to produce a statement to hopefully get that back. He's not going to be on the card. Has he missed a trick there? Because he's lacking the big win to call out these major players and he's going to fall by the wayside if he's not careful. Well, yeah, that tends to happen sometimes in boxing, doesn't it? So you've got to, you've got to strike while the irons are and take your opportunity. I mean, there's no bigger opportunity than a, than a televised sort of box office event, something that's in a big stadium, thousands of people are watching. It's not just going to get coverage in the UK. It's going to be all over the world. On the other side of the Atlantic as well, in America, they'll be going mad for it. So you would think it's a massive opportunity for him and, and an opportunity that he could possibly miss. Yeah, it's it's worrying, and you just got to wonder where Frank Warren is at the moment. But it appears that Tyson is still training as hard as ever, and he's brought in a very interesting sparring partner. Jarrell Miller, the disgraced heavyweight, banned two years ago for failing multiple drug tests. And I suppose I've got two questions in one here, Paul, but I'll kick it off with the first one. How do you feel about Fury bringing somebody in who has received such a backlash from the public for... You know the well, not the cries, but the the disgraces that he committed in boxing. Um, it's a difficult question. That uh, I think for Tyson Fury, I mean, he's not going fighting him. 
he's he's using him to his advantage in a training camp. So I've probably not got much of a problem with that, really. I mean, what you do in your training camp is up to you, really. And if he feels that, you know, sparring with him is going to help him, uh, then then why not? I mean, it's probably difficult to get sparring partners for him anyway because of the size of him. And if he feels it's going to help him, you know, with his opponent, then you've got to respect him for that. So, uh, yeah, we all know that He's been a, a controversial fighter and, and been in, in, in trouble with things like that. But, yeah, you've asked me a difficult one there. I think if, if it was me, I think I'd just want to prepare as best I can. I don't think you can really really criticise him for that. Stylistically, is Miller a good sparring partner to prepare for Dillian White? Powerful. He's big and powerful, isn't he? And, and I think he's explosive as well. And that's what you're going to get with Dillian White, I would think. I would think him coming into this fight. There's only way, one way he's going to box Tyson Fury. I don't think he's Dylan White's not a boxing move sort of guy. Is he's not a yeah? He's not that sort of cat and mouse fighter. Is he? If he comes out, he, he's going to come out swinging for you and trying to take you out, isn't he? I think that's that's going to be his plan with Tyson Fury. I'm not so sure whether that plan works, you know, with the size of Tyson Fury. But I don't think he's the sort of guy who can outbox uh, Tyson Fury. You know, with, with Miller as well, I think. He, he boxed that kind of way, didn't he? And perhaps I think Tyson Fury and his team will be thinking he's a similar sort of fighter and that's probably why they're using him as a sparring partner. So, uh, so yeah, but I don't see how, how Dylan White's going to outbox uh, Tyson Fury, to be honest with you. Sticking with the heavyweights now, a bit of a different story. As I'm sure you're aware, Paul, Will Smith smacked Chris Rock at the Oscars. It's all over Sky News, all over BBC News, all over ITV News. It's everywhere. And all these celebrities have come together to give their opinion. And Anthony Joshua has thrown his two pence in the mix. He says he's proud of Will Smith. And he even posted some footage of him taking the actor on the pads. Yeah, very. <laughs> I've not actually seen the uh, the incident at the Oscars. I didn't watch the Oscars, but I have I have heard all about it. And uh, it's funny these days, isn't it? What what sort of captures people's imagination? People's jump on like sort of bandwagons, don't they? And uh, yeah, it just seems a bit of a, bit of a daft thing to do, really, from from Will Smith. You'd think he had a bit more more about him than, than to do something like that. So I just thought it was a bit silly, really. I mean, a comedian's a comedian. That's what he, he gets paid for, to uh, to take the mickey out of people, doesn't he? So it just seemed the real strange situation. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And a fight I wanted to talk to you about last week, Paul, but to be fair, I completely forgot to mention it because it was a midweek one. I think it was on a Wednesday. But Sonny Bill Williams versus Barry Hall, a legend of the world of rugby, a legend of the world of Aussie rules, colliding. Sonny Bill Williams wiping Hall out inside of the first round. And let's not forget, Hall pushed Paul Gallen very close to a draw. And a lot of people thought he won that night. So a great victory for Sonny Bill Williams. Yeah, Sonny Bill Williams seems to be taking his boxing career recently very, very seriously, doesn't he? Um, you've seen his, his dedication in training and things like that. And looked in incredible shape and I thought he boxed really well. Um, so maybe this is a road he's going to go down now and have more and more fights and and why not he's an entertaining guy he's been a terrific sportsman in, in, in rugby in both codes of rugby and um, you know it's good to see he, he, he seems a likeable character as well doesn't he off, off sort of the um, off, off the stage or pitch or ring or wherever it is so uh, so yeah very pleased for him to be honest he's a, he's a good sporting character and like I said in, in good shape and, and a good win just seems strange that it was a it was a midweek uh, contest really but we seem to be seeing quite a lot of that you know over on other shores around the world these uh, midweek bouts yeah we most certainly do 
He called out Paul Gallen in the aftermath of the fight, and that'd be a massive fight in Australasia, one of the biggest grudge matches I think we'll have ever seen. There's two ways of looking at this off the back of uh, Sonny Bill Williams' performance. If you look at the Barry Hall fights, Sonny Bill Williams by far did a better job against Hall than Paul Gallen did. But since then, the shorter man has gone on. He's beaten Mark Hunt. He's beaten Lucas Brown. He went 10 rounds with Justice Hooney. So at this stage, when you look at both fighters, Paul, who are you seeing as the favourite? I'd probably go with Paul Gallen because of his... his, I like him. I, I like his sort of low centre of gravity. He's not when you used to see him on the rugby league pitch. You used to think he was a really big man, but he's not. He's uh, he's sort of a really squat sort of shape, isn't it? But very, very powerful, very, very robust, very, very difficult to hit. He boxes and moves really well, and I probably have him as, as the favourite. He, he um, I don't know. I don't know. He just always seems to do better than you're going to expect him to do. He's a very, very tough cookie, isn't he? But that'd be like you said. It'd be a great fight. That you know, two excellent sort of rugby men, rugby league men, and uh, you know that'd really, really capture the imagination in Australia. That I would have thought, and uh, you get you probably sell somewhere out for that. It'd be, it'd be a top fight. That really would be something to see. Two really aggressive men going head to head like a couple of rhinos. There, I think it'd be great to see that. Rob, obviously, me and Paul adore box to be a massive fight for us. But as a hardcore rugby fan, how big a fight is this? You've got two codes coming together. I know Sonny Bill Williams did a bit of league as well, but I think he was more famous. You can correct me if I'm wrong for his rugby union days. You've got this trans-Tasman rivalry, Australia and New Zealand coming together. It could probably sell out a stadium in Australia. And how much has captured your imagination? Well, rugby league and rugby union have been at war for about 150 years, James. So to 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 do it on a on in a boxing ring uh, adds an extra element to that. Uh, Sonny Bill Williams is probably more famous in rugby league than he is rugby union, uh, and he, like Paul said, is is the complete athlete. So it will be interesting to see. Uh, what happens come fight night because uh, you know it's all exciting and that's what we're all tuning for: the drama and the excitement. Well, sir. That we're all going to be looking forward to. And while we're on this Australian theme, Paul, a fight that's been rumoured for so long George Cambosos, Devin Haney, over the line, but it's here, Marvel Stadium, officially confirmed like it was going to be Lomachenko. It isn't, it's Haney, and you're looking forward to this one. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It's a, it's a good fight. And, uh, you know, another, another we love to see, don't we, uh, early in the year. It's going to be another cracking fire. And uh, I think it's another difficult one to, to, to pick a winner from. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that one unfolds up and the under kind of whole event. I think it'd be a great night. And looking back over the weekend, we had a great knockout from Savannah Marshall. Put Fenka Hermans to sleep via a left hook. A stunning stress shields in one of the biggest fights in women's boxing. Paul, firstly, how excited are you for this potential matchup? And secondly... There's a lot of competitions being made to the Katiti Taylor Amanda Serrano fight. People argued which fight is bigger. What stance do you take? Um, to be honest with you, I don't think it makes a difference which fight is bigger. I think they're both going to be tremendous fights. I, I think they'll be, be crackers. I mean, Savannah Marshall has sort of captured the the British public's imagination. She's no nonsense, you know. Uh, when you're in an interview, she seems scared of anybody. Does she? You know, Chris Shields. You know, she she talks a good uh, talk, but she can also back it up as well. She's a tremendous fighter, so that that 
neither of them two seem frightened of each other. I think they'll go toe to toe, and it'll be uh, be really, really special. I know uh, she was a guest at, at ringside, wasn't she, over the weekend in, in Newcastle, and uh, you know, Savannah Marshall put in that devastating display, and uh, that fight's got to happen now. It's got to get signed up, and that'll be a great fight. So yeah, two two terrific fight there, there be, for us to look forward. Yeah, it'd be a difficult one to pick a winner from Savannah Marshall against. Uh, there was some cracking undercard action as well, Paul. Your man, Chris Jenkins, a very confident, very heartful fighter. Somebody always gives it it all. He was boxing really well against Marku, but ultimately couldn't get the job done. He was caught in the fourth round and the fight ended there. And Marku's now looking for a potential matchup against Amir Khan. Yeah, definitely. I think he deserves it as well. I felt sorry for Chris Jenkins. I thought he was boxing beautifully in that fight and really, really sharp. And I thought he should have took a knee really there. A bit, bit naive of him, you know, with all the experience he's got. And, uh, you know, he, he lost his balance there and lost the fight. But, you know, it, a fight with Khan could be, uh, could be a real good matchup next. Quickly touching on this, there's a big one in Japan this weekend, Paul. Gennady Golovkin in the ring against Ryota Murata. IBF world title, WBA world title. Who's your fancy? I'm going to go for Golovkin. I think he's due for a big performance. I think so too, Paul. I think it's scheduled to be an absolute cracker. And after the horrible matchups he got against Canelo, probably could have done to have won one, if not both of those fights. I think he deserves a big victory in Japan against Murato Murata. And to pick up that WBA title at this stage in his career, I think it'd be a fantastic win. And who knows, maybe it can open the door to Chris Eubank Jr. fight. Anyway, that's all we've got time for this week on the Sports Zone. We'll see you next time. Salford City Radio is your not-for-profit community station. Giving opportunities through volunteering and enabling the Salford community to learn new skills and increase the potential of gaining paid employment. We are proud to have served our Salford community for nearly 15 years, providing a platform and voice for community and charitable organisations, local businesses, schools, local theatres, artists, musicians from Salford and further afield. For many of our volunteers, Salford City Radio provides a lifeline. As we apply to renew our licence for the next five years, we need financial support to assist with the cost of licence fees and running costs so that we can continue to help keep your community resource open. Providing opportunities for everyone both now and in the future. We ask you to help us if you're able by making a donation to our crowdfunder appeal. As a thank you for your kind donation, you'll be rewarded by opportunities to get a shout-out on air, to be a guest on air, or maybe even present your own show. Find out how you can help your community station now by visiting crowdfunder.co.uk forward slash salford-city-radio. If you can't help by making a donation, you can still be a big help by sharing our message with your friends and family. Your support is very much appreciated. Thank you. Salford City Radio. Your city. Your city. Your station. Your station.